Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The sets of episodic television shows are comfortably the most bizarre and chaotic spaces that humanity has ever devised. That said, practice does occasionally make perfect, and by 1995, Star Trek had had a lot of practice. The walking calamity of the Next Generation's early seasons had, after a number of years, been refined to something resembling a functioning show, and while production of Deep Space Nine was beset with its own issues, it had at least learned from the mistakes of its predecessor. Voyager, it was hoped, would then be a well-oiled machine with a smooth writing process and no major backstage dramas. The very fact then that this video even exists probably tells you just how naive a thought that was. My name is Adam Cleary and these are 10 amazing behind-the-scenes secrets of Star Trek Voyager. Oh, before we start, just special mention to the little pouch Ethan Phillips had sewn into his Neelix costume so he had somewhere to put his teeth between takes. Didn't think that was worth a whole entry, that one. Just, just thought it was really fun. Anyway, here we go. Number 10, Nicole Janeway. Right, we'll just get this one out of the way early. Kay Mulgrew was not the first choice to play Captain Janeway. In fact, not only was she not the first choice, but the show was already a full day into filming its pilot episode before she was even brought in. Legendary Canadian actress Genevieve Bougeau, who was Paramount's pick from the very start, already had several scenes under her belt when she left the role. The short version of this story is that while Bougeau was a notable actress in cinema, she wasn't prepared for taking a starring role in a weekly TV show. The long hours, the constant costuming, the on-the-fly script changes were not things she was accustomed to, and after just a day and a half, she confessed to the show's producers that she wasn't cut out for the part. They took one look at the footage they currently had and were more than happy to accept a departure. Kate Mulgrew stepped in and immediately made the role her own, even going so far as to pitch renaming the role from Nicole Janeway to Catherine Janeway. And yes, while this one is pretty well known these days, if you've somehow never seen any of these clips before, they are a total mind-bender. Number 9. Robert Beltran tried to get fired it's no major secret that as the writing for Voyager progressed into season 4 and beyond, a number of the characters struggled to find anything resembling a compelling arc. With Seven of Nine's arrival on the show, the Tom paris Bolana torres relationship, and Robert Picardo making the role of the Doctor practically, and yes, literally sing, old favourites found it harder to get both screen time and storylines. Principal amongst them was Chakotay. The Starfleet marquee tension subplot had long since run its course, and the odd vision quest angle had received near-universal derision. 
television. Thus, Beltran, never hugely happy with his role on a show watched largely by nerds, and yes, hello, also a nerd here, decided he would try and use this situation to his advantage and get the producers to remove him. His plan was simple, just keep asking for more and more money each season until they decided he wasn't worth it. The only problem, though, was that Paramount wasn't exactly hard up and were more than happy to indulge his increasing demands. In the end, he stayed on the show until its finale and in the years since has admitted it was never as bad as he thought it was, the big softy. Number 8. Hubble if there's one takeaway from the Next Generation Deep Space Nine installments of this video, it should be that there is no end to the ingenuity of science fiction set designers. From the rolling black curtain starfields to the jars of alien medicines that were just M&Ms, sometimes the fantastical elements of the show's backdrop are a lot simpler than they might appear. Sometimes though, while they're relatively straightforward, they're still pretty mind-blowing. Take for example Voyager's Astrometrics Lab, which, following its introduction to the set in Season 4, required all number of stellar bodies to populate its screens. While the FX department no doubt had several on file, for that added sense of realism, they reached out to NASA for an assist here. They were all too happy to help and furnished the show with several stunning photographs taken by the actual Hubble telescope. The Cat's Eye Nebula and the now legendary Eagle Nebula's Pillars of Creation image became near permanent fixtures on the walls. Number 7. Onset Tensions the introduction of Seven of Nine in the final episode of Season 3 was, it's always alleged, designed to increase the show's sex appeal and help flagging ratings. Now, while I was about six years old at the time, and will thus be making no comment on the former there, her impact on viewing numbers was definitely positive, if only temporarily. However, when it came to the portrayal of women on the show, Kate Mulgrew had spent three entire years making Janeway someone who was a Starfleet captain first and a woman second. She talked producers out of making her the first commanding officer to fully fraternize with a member of her crew, Picard just sitting on his erection in sickbay for eight years and Cisco smashing every woman he ever met in the Mirror Universe does not count, and resented the idea they would now undo this progressive work just to pop a rating. Thus, Jerry Ryan found shooting scenes with her incredibly uncomfortable, partly because they'd squeezed her into a figure-hugging catsuit that took considerable time and effort to get on and off, but also because Mulgrew would work her to exhaustion to ensure that if she was going to be getting all this attention, her performance would have to merit it. This initially led to a lot of tension between the two, but as the show rolled on, Mulgrew began to respect the work Ryan was doing with the character, and the two's relationship improved. Number 6. The Links to Other Series now we're going to get into a whole big thing about the Marquis in a little bit, but their integral part to both Voyager's pilot episode and the makeup of the cast as a whole meant that ideas were floated to have Ro Lauren involved in the show at some point. And true story, her defection to the group in the Next Generation's penultimate episode was specifically written to potentially set this up. Originally, as long-term Trek culture readers will be aware, she was slated to star as Cisco's first officer in Deep Space Nine, only for Michelle Forbes' reluctance over being a series regular rather than a recurring character to nix those plans, Kieran Arise thus being written in her place. During Voyager's pre-production though, the idea of having it as one of the marquee renegades being pursued by Janeway and co was floated, with her either being killed shortly after arriving in the Delta Quadrant or whisked away from the ship to randomly appear in the odd episode, although whether she wasn't interested or the plan just was scrapped has never been revealed. Likewise, in an attempt to bring over some star power from elsewhere in the franchise, Michael Dorn's Worf was also considered as a member of the crew, until 
until the actor himself turned down the part in favour of Deep Space Nine. However, the most incredible nearly acquisition from elsewhere in the franchise goes to Deep Space Nine's Nana Visitor, who, upon hearing that Genevieve Bougeau had been sacked from the part, accosted Rick Berman in the street and pitched for the role herself. I can do both, why not? Why can't I? She told him, before getting a polite pat on the head and a definitive no. Number 5. Garrett Wong was too hot to fire if there's one thing that's possibly even better known than the recasting of Captain Janeway, it's that it was very nearly Harry Kim, not Kess, who was written out in Season 4. The showrunners knew that they wanted Jerry Ryan to come in as a brand new character, but they also knew this was absolutely one too many members of the principal cast. They had, they surmised, two candidates to leave the show, both of whom seemed to have completed their early arcs and now struggled to find compelling storylines. Garrett Wong's Harry Kim, who would have been killed off to raise the show's stakes, and Kess, who would have just been written out somehow. After much consideration, they decided to remove Kim. Or rather, they did, until he was included in People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People in the World article between seasons 3 and 4. Immediately seeing him as an untapped resource for the show, the producers gave Jennifer Lien the bullet instead and tried their best to think of things for Harry to do for the remaining three seasons. And I mean, he, he was good in Timeless, and he pulled, he did pull in The Disease, and in Ashes to Ashes, so... Oh, yeah, solid work. Number four, Nick Lacano. I just, I just want to clear this one up once and for all. Despite what the show's producers have tried to claim in the years since, Robert McNeil was supposed to play his Next Generation character, Nick Lacano in this show, not Tom Paris. The disgraced former cadet was to have fallen out of the academy and in with the Marquis, before finally winding up in a penal colony and admitting he'd lost his way. From there, he was to be recruited by Voyager to help pursue his former associates, embarking on a redemptive arc for both his crimes against the Federation and the death of his classmate in the Next Next Generation episode, The First Duty. That was the plan. However, and this has happened a number of times with guest characters, the legal rights to the script which birthed them weren't exactly the property of Paramount, meaning that reusing them would require the studio to pay the original writer for every episode in which they featured. Despite some wrangling with the various brains behind The First Duty, the rights for Locarno couldn't be freed up and they had to come up with an all-new character for the already cast McNeil. The fact that said new character was very Virtually identical in premise to Locarno is, well, that's none of my business. Number three, Robert Picardo really wanted to play Neelix. I mean, I could just leave that one at the headline, couldn't I, and let you figure the rest of it out, but what can I say? They pay me by the word here, so. Famously landing the part when he ad-libbed, I'm a doctor, not a light bulb, during his audition, Robert Picardo was initially reluctant to accept the role when he discovered the part would be A, incredibly dry, and B, largely confined to one set. But the role of Neelix, on the other hand, an incredibly expressive comic relief character that was also being auditioned for at the same time, appealed to him greatly, and he asked the producer to let him have a crack at that instead. Sadly, Ethan Phillips had already landed the part, so they refused. But he did have a lucky escape, though, Picardo, as his only concern about the Neelix role was how long it would require in the makeup chair, a question he was given, hmm, I guess around 15 minutes, as an answer to. In reality, of course, Phillips spent around three hours every single day undergoing his Talaxian transformation, something Picardo has said he categorically would have eventually quit over. Number two, The Marquis. 
Despite a sizable chunk of the crew being recruited from Chakotay's marquee cell, the Resistance group always felt more of a Deep Space Nine thing. Their squabbles were with that show's primary antagonist, their most famous member was formally assigned to the station itself, and ask any Star Trek fan what their best marquee episodes were, and they'd be some way down the list before saying Learning Curve. However, despite their prominence on DS9 and originally being mentioned both there and on The Next Generation before Voyager had even premiered, they were written and conceived entirely for the upcoming adventures in the Delta Quadrant. In an incredibly rare example of Star Trek successfully navigating something across all three of its 90s shows, the seeds were planted purely for the benefit of one show that hadn't even made it to TV yet on two that had. Preemptive Strike, the next generation's penultimate episode, was hastily written to showcase the group's power and give Ro Lauren a possible route into Voyager. While Deep Space Nine's two-parter The Marquis not only fleshes out their story and structure, but even has Cisco mentioned that several ships have gone missing in the Badlands. Now, when it's apparently that easy to use one Star Trek to make other Star Treks look better, where the f was the Enterprise E in the Dominion War? Number one, Linda Hamilton. The casting process for Captain Janeway was, for the longest time, simply Genevieve Bougeau or Bust. But prior to that, the showrunners had gone back and forward with Paramount over the very concept of a female captain, and one early compromise might have given us an entirely different show. Initially, the network executives had been uneasy about casting a woman in a lead role. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely fair enough there, lads. Not like it was the mid-90s and you were months away from Buffy, Sabrina, Xena, and Sex in the City. All launching on rival networks or anything, so just, yeah, just incredible. Incredible foresight and market awareness there. So they would only consider the prospect if they also allowed men to read for the part as well, so that none of them got upset. Several had a go, and delete as appropriate, Chariots of Fire slash Coronation Street actor Nigel Dallas was most notable. When it finally became clear that a woman was going to be a much better fit for the part, the network agreed to get on board with the idea, provided they got someone in who had both mainstream and crossover cult appeal. The top, and indeed only name on that list for a while, was Terminator's Linda Hamilton, who, despite being a household name after starring in 1991's Judgment Day, hadn't quite found big roles falling into her lap. Overtures were made, unconfirmed rumours even say she secretly read for the part, but a deal could simply not be reached. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.